for being here. I appreciate the extra effort that you had to make today to get here and, and uh, brush off your car and deal with people driving really slow to get here. So I appreciate you making the effort. Um, I want to, uh, actually, before I get into my teaching today, I want to just uh, play this video. Some of you have seen this before, but uh, watch this. What is church? Is it a building? With some pews? A piano? And stained glass? Or is it something more? 2,000 years ago, the church was born. It wasn't made up of the famous, the rich, or the powerful. It was made up of everyday people who passionately believed in the message of Jesus. It was the beginning of a revolution of love and freedom that would change the world forever. In 369 AD, the church built the first hospital as a place to care for those who cannot care for themselves. Today, the church is the largest single provider of healthcare in history. The church was the first to stand up for the rights of children, creating the first and largest orphanage system in the world. 100 out of the first 110 universities in America were founded as Christian institutions. Places like Harvard, Dartmouth, Yale, and Princeton. Much of the world's greatest art, architecture, literature, and music has been shaped by the church. But the impact of the church isn't just ancient history. Today, the church is stronger than ever and continues to impact every corner of the world. Over 300,000 churches in America and almost 5 million churches around the world stand ready to be instruments of change, to do what governments could never do. Every day, the church brings food and fresh water to millions of people across the world. It has a renewed passion to help widows and orphans and fights to free slaves in every part of the world. It stands ready as a first responder on the scene to provide relief for victims of disaster. The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen and felt in the church today. And it's made up of people like me and you. Today, you didn't just come to a building. You came to a revolution 2,000 years in the making. The world is facing as much trouble as ever. But we are not afraid. We were created for such a time as this. We will continue to do what we've always done. Proclaim the message of Jesus to help a world that needs him so desperately. Welcome. 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 Welcome to church. Well, welcome. Everybody comes to church with an expectation. Our expectations are determined by our childhood. They're determined by what we've been taught, by good experiences, by bad experiences. Uh, and, and as you know, there are all kinds of flavors of, uh, and colors and feelings and tones to church, even in the Ellsworth area. Uh, there's every kind of thing uh, that in the world that you could expect from a church. If you just want to go look for it, you'll find it. Whatever it is, you can find it uh, within El the greater Ellsworth area. Jesus made it very clear in his life what the point or the purpose of the church would be. And it's interesting, when you go from church to church to church, you can wonder sometimes if you're even in the same realm of Christianity, when you look at the different things that different churches wrap their identity around and the things that churches tend to focus on. So this morning, I want to talk to you for a few minutes at the beginning of a new year, at the beginning of the last six months of our 20th year here at Faith Community. I want to talk a little bit about why we're here, what our focus is, what our purpose is how we hope to accomplish our mission. So this morning is going to be just the beginning of a conversation that will probably take us uh, through the next few weeks. If you've been around church for any time at all, you know that one of the big challenges for the local church, how many of you, just curious, how many of you have been in church more than one year? How many of you have been more in church, around church more than three years? Five years? Ten years? I'm going to take a leap here and go to 20 years. You've been around church for 20 years. How about... 
How about 30 years you've been around church? Man, we got some really churchy people. I won't go any older. There's nobody else older than that here, so we'll stop there. But this is the thing. If you've been around church for any time at all, you know that one of the big challenges for the local church is that in doing the work of the church, it is so easy for secondary things to become primary things. So we're going to take a few minutes to review church and why we're here and what does God want to do here at Faith Community Fellowship. Matthew 28, again, if you've been around church, which I guess most of you have, uh, you've heard at least a dozen messages on this passage, and if you've been at any time here, you've heard me speak on it many times. But it's an important passage because in Matthew 28, Jesus gave a charge to a group of people that eventually becomes the purpose and the focal point of the, this new institution that he launched. We call it the church. Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, Jesus has already been crucified. He's risen from the dead. He's gathering his followers together so to kind of give them his last words before he ascends to be with the Father. That's the context. So Matthew 28, going to read five verses. Verse 16. This sets it up for us. And the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I think that's really cool. These are followers of Jesus. So if you sit here on some Sundays and you look around and most of the people are like totally engaged and are totally into it and they love the teaching, they're eating it up and they're singing along because the words are resonating. But you're just like, what? Really? Are you for real? That's t- totally cool because you're in good company because this is with Jesus after his resurrection hanging out with his followers where some worshiped and some doubted. Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And we find out in Acts that at that point, Jesus went up and ascended to the Father. And he's gone, and the disciples are just kind of standing there looking. And an angel appears and says, what are you looking at? And we're like, they're just kind of like dumbfounded. And the angel's like, well, he's gone, okay? You saw it happen. And he told you that someday he'll return. That's true. But in the meantime, you know what to do because he's given you your instructions. And here it is in a nutshell. Guys, as you go, I want you to go into every nation, all the people groups of the earth. As you go, in your wake, I want you to leave disciples. I want you to make disciples. And as you're making disciples, that's going to include some teaching. It's going to include some baptizing. It's going to include some communicating to them, everything that I've communicated to you. And here's my promise, he says. As you go, making disciples, I'm going to be with you in a very real way because this is the thing that I'm most concerned about. Make disciples. That's the imperative. That's the imperative of this passage. Teaching, baptizing, communicating, even the going, all supports the two words, make disciples. And we're all... We all can kind of nod ahead and agree, nod our heads and, and, and agree with that. But what exactly does that mean? It means to take people who are not disciples and turn them into disciples. So what's a disciple? A, first of all, disciple isn't really a Christian word. Uh, it isn't a church word, although you would hear it uh, used and referred to mostly in this context. A disciple is simply a follower and a learner. And the purpose of the church is very simple make disciples. It's come together, pool your resources, pool your talents and gifts, encourage one another, get involved in one another's lives, hold each other accountable, worship together, do all of that. But the bullseye, the reason we're here is to make disciples. Here's the deal. 
If you choose to partner with us in this church, if you choose to get involved or to join or keep coming on Sundays, here's what we want of you. We want you as a Christian, as a, as a follower of Jesus, we want you to get involved in the lives of other people and to lead them into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And as a participant in this church, in order for us to stay on purpose and stay on track with what God has called us to do, every one of you who's a member or who's a regular attender has to be involved in this. You've got to partner with us in this process because that's what God planted the church to do. And we are the church. So I want to talk for a few minutes about this whole idea of membership, okay? It's the beginning of the year. We often talk about this. I put a membership covenant on every seat in the room, so you should have one near you. We don't talk a lot about membership because we don't want to overemphasize it, uh, but we should probably talk about it more. We realize that. Um, there's just not enough time unless we maybe extend our teaching time to like two hours. We could probably cover everything we need to cover on a regular basis. So all in favor? All right, that's what I thought. See, the new... T- <laughs> The New Testament talks about us being members of the body, but I really don't think it's referring to membership the way that, in the same context that we mean membership, because the truth is we're talking about kind of an official kind of joining the church kind of deal. It's really more of a cultural thing than it is a scriptural mandate for sure, which is why we don't emphasize it a lot. But then again, we do believe that it has value. There's a place for it. It's an effective way to make sure that the individuals who make up our church are on track with our mission, that that we all know what's expected of us as individuals, and you know what you can expect from the church and from your experience here at Faith Community. So for the next few minutes, I'm going to take some time to walk you through our membership covenant. But first of all, just let me say this. God has high expectations for every Christian. And if you think somehow, well, this membership covenant thing, that's for like the spiritual elite. And I know if you're going to be a leader, then you need it. This has got to be true of you and all that. He expects every Christian to use his or her gifts or talents in ministry and in service to other people for the purpose of making disciples and for the glory of his name. A lot of churches give it... uh, give membership a, a, a lot of emphasis in their preaching and their teaching and their programming, but still a lot of members do nothing but just kind of attend. Romans 12.5 says, In Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The life of a Christ follower involves more than just believing. It also includes belonging. We grow in Christ by being in relationship with other believers. First Timothy refers to the church as the family of God. And you might, maybe that doesn't resonate with you because your family dynamic and your family story isn't one of warm fuzzies and, and belonging. Um, but this is, this is uh, how the Apostle Paul described it, the church, as the family of God, the household of God. And, and God doesn't want us growing up in isolation from one another. So he created a spiritual family for us. And then Paul reminds us again in Ephesians 2 that we are members of God's own family. So we know that people are I think people in general are searching for a place to belong. They're looking for a sense of family, a sense of community. That phrase, one another, is used at least 58 times in the New Testament. You know, we're commanded to love one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, admonish one another, uh, greet one another, welcome one another, serve one another, uh, accept one another. I'm not going to list them all, but honor one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, oh, and submit to one another. All those commands are what membership in a local fellowship of believers is all about. They're the responsibilities of the membership. And at Faith Community, we've tweaked our membership covenant over several times over the years because we just want to expect of our members only what the Bible clearly expects of all believers. 
So we want to be as consistent as we can on that. So we've summarized those expectations in this membership covenant. So let's look at it. I'm going to read it through, okay? So we're, we're really on the, you can either look at the, at the middle column or the far right, and there's a purpose for why they're there. What happens here is when we get to the end of this thing, if you decide that you want to be a member of this church, you fill out the little thing at the bottom on the right, and you tear that page off, and you leave it with us, and then you get the rest of the page that describes why membership, and then a copy of the covenant so you know what it is you've agreed to. So we're going to read through the covenant. Here we go. As a member of faith community, um, Faith Community Fellowship, I agree to the following covenant with this body of believers. I testify that Jesus Christ is the Savior of my life, and I choose to submit to his lordship as I serve him. Let's just stop for a second. It's the doctrine of salvation, or redemption, is the theme of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's personal, and it's universal, and it centers on the person of Jesus Christ. And from God's perspective, salvation includes the total work of God in bringing people from condemnation to justification, from death to eternal life. We've been saved from the condemnation of sin. That's in Ephesians 2 and in Titus 3. We are being saved from the dominion of sin or the power of sin in our lives. That's in Hebrews 7 and 1 Corinthians 10. And we will be saved from the very presence of sin in heaven forever. And we find that in Romans 5. And then Jesus said in John 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And then the Apostle Peter said it this way in Acts 4. He said, salvation's found in no one else because there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So Jesus is the source of our salvation. We can't earn favor with God. No amount of church attendance or good works or charitable contribution will get us where we need to be in the sight of God. Those are all good things, but it's none of that earns favor with God. Salvation is found in the person of Jesus Christ, and he alone is worthy to be the Lord of our lives. So that's, that's the first point. Next point. I fully agree with FCF's doctrinal statement. I'm not going to take any time on this. You can just kind of nod your head and check that one off. No, that's, that would be irresponsible. Because what you, you need to do your own study on this, okay? Um, we did some teaching, uh, I don't know, a few years back on, on our kind of our doctrinal positions. And if you would want a copy of that, I can certainly, it's like 14 sermons. So you've got to be seriously committed to it. Uh, but we'll make that available to you. But better off, you can find our doctrinal statement um, on our website at faithcommunityfellowship.com under the welcome section. And it's called Our Beliefs. And it's just summarized there in eight or 10 points. The big things that we feel like we all uh, kind of rally around. So um, I would say don't agree to that until you've read the doctrinal statement. Okay? Back to the covenant. I've been scripturally baptized by immersion. I'm committed to being obedient to the word of God as I read and study the Bible. And I'll faithfully support the vision of Faith Community Fellowship with my time, tithe, and prayer. I'll just clarify a couple things here. Let me give you our definition of scriptural baptism. Scriptural baptism involves both the order of events and the method of baptism. The New Testament teaches that baptism follows salvation. Let's just be real clear about that. That baptism follows salvation. After we've come to the place where we've placed our trust in Christ as our Savior, then we are baptized. Baptism is an outward expression of a spiritual decision. It's an outward reflection of an inward connection. As to the method, in the New Testament, baptism always meant to be fully immersed. That's what the word literally means. In the we think the word means some kind of uh, sacrament or ordinance in the church. The word literally means to immerse. That's what the word means. In the early church, though, there came a time when people came to understand, and they came to this realization, that pools of stagnant water were not safe, and they were infested with all kinds of disease, which is where the practice of sprinkling originated, of baptism by sprinkling or pouring. So, but today, 
at least in, here in Hancock County, and you know, we, we don't have any reason not to follow the New Testament model of baptism by immersion. We have clean water that we can immerse you in. And the point of the covenant that says, I will faithfully support the vision of faith community fellowship with my time, tithe, and prayer. Uh, we need you to be involved. We need you to give your time. We need volunteers. We need you to be those volunteers. When you hear me week after week kind of pleading for volunteers to fill some slots in our children's ministry, on our cleaning team, or on the media team, or wherever, parking cars, whatever, that should be a signal to you that, oh, there's my opportunity. There's where I need to get involved. There's where my family needs me, and we do what families need us to do. When we need volunteers, we need you to be those volunteers. And then we want to be a place, too, that pays our bills. We have a functional, comfortable space to, to meet in, that we can meet the payroll, we can minister to the felt needs of the people in our church and in our community. Uh, but, but listen, we don't have a secret, inexhaustible stash of money that doesn't exist. If it does, it's a well-kept secret because I don't know about it. We don't rely on big benefactors. We don't want that. We don't have any outside source or some kind of denominational governing body to pick up the slack from week to week. don't have any of that. Faith Community Fellowship relies on the regular support of its members for all of its financial obligations. And I know, we've become so paranoid about talking about money and teaching about tithing and financial stewardship. We are so uh, influenced because... We think that the world thinks that all we talk about is money. So to the extent that we've become kind of oversensitive about teaching the very basic biblical principles of financial stewardship in the tithe. And so that's something we just have to kind of uh, recalibrate on. But Jesus talked about money as much as he talked about anything else. That's because money, listen, money, unlike anything else, can take a stronghold in our lives. It can control us. And you're like, I know, because money is evil. No, money itself is not evil. What's the scripture say? The love of money is the root of all evil. leads to all sorts of problems. That's in 1 Timothy 6. God doesn't want anything to take his place in our lives. That's the point. And for many people, money becomes our God. Oh, maybe not money itself but the stuff and the comfort and the leisure and the false sense of security that money offers. It's a false sense of security, by the way. And the best way to keep from making money our God is to learn the joy of giving it away. God doesn't need our money. He owns everything. He can handle it. But we need to give it away. It's an incredible feeling to see our money go to something that benefits something other than ourselves. God's work needs the support of its people. That's all I'm going to say about that for now. Back to the covenant. I will make every effort to be involved in the basic Christian community experience in our small groups and in our weekend corporate worship. Uh, you, know, you know that I could, if you've been around me at all, that I could really go on about the importance of the small group dynamic in that environment because I really believe that life change happens best in small groups. And for the last couple of years, our small groups haven't really been thriving exactly, but I'm announcing right now that we are relaunching and retooling um, our small group ministry uh, this spring. So we're going to be rethinking all of that, and you're going to hear a lot about that. We do a little teaching here on Sundays about that. We're going to have some gatherings to identify some leaders and some hosts and some interested participants. We're going to kind of renew and revitalize our emphasis on small groups because... Small groups are where relationships are formed and nurtured. If the only interaction you get on a relational basis with people in your church is at church on Sunday morning, you aren't going very deep. You don't have the opportunity 
countdown's running. You've got two and a half minutes to have this conversation and get in your seat. You know, and after church, we've got to get to lunch. So um, especially, you know, if this thing goes two minutes longer than we'd planned, we've got to get out of here. So this is, not, this is great. We love this environment. I love it. I love when the church comes together. But it's not where significant, meaningful relationships happen. So uh, it's in the small groups where we can be ourselves. We can express our concerns. We can express our doubts. We can ask some questions. We can interact with Scripture and truth with one another. We can receive some encouragement and some affirmation. That's where we experience real community. And as important as small groups are, the church is meant to function with two wings, the small group and the corporate gathering. We need to strike the proper balance in our programming and in our individual participation. So there's a responsibility on us as church leaders to provide those environments. There's a responsibility on you to make sure you're a part of those environments. Because in order for the church to really soar, both wings have to be healthy and functioning, and they have to be properly balanced. Last item on the covenant. We're going to say more about that, obviously. I will passionately strive to reach the unchurched by developing meaningful relationships with them. So you've all, a lot of you have already identified yourself as long-term churchy insider people. I know who you are now, okay? And if you're not invested in someone's life right now for the purpose of bringing them along, to introducing them to Jesus, or to taking them through the next steps in their journey of following Jesus, can you at least do this? Can you at least get involved in some biblical community, in a small group setting somewhere where you are surrounded by people uh, who are doing this? Because here's the deal. You, right now, there are people that you are, they're sitting very close to you who go out on a limb every single week and invite somebody to a Sunday celebration or they invite someone to a small group environment or like kindred spirits or men's frat or a Bible study in their home or they invite someone out for coffee or to have someone over for a meal. And maybe you just need to get around these people because that's contagious. And we all need more of that. Listen, when you walk into this place on Sunday morning to worship, we want this to be a place where people, when they walk through these doors, we want this to be the best day of their lives. Okay? Best day of their week, best day of their... This is the thing. All right? We want to see smiles on our faces, unlike what I'm getting right now. Okay? Because you're like, how could this be the best day? Dude, I got to get up on a Sunday morning. I don't have to work, and I still got to get up, and I got to clean the car off and throw the kids in the car and make sure we got them all and come in. This is a lot of work. We really think what we do here is important. We think it has potential to, to affect life change. We want people to see smiles on our faces. We want them to know our names because we remember theirs. We want them to experience authentic worship in the church together. And if, and if you don't know anybody that you can bring along that far, at least you can part with, partner with some people who are already doing it and be authentic and be faithful and be enthusiastic in your worship experience together here on Sunday morning. And I know that your week hasn't been great and it's like next week has no, there's no reason it's going to be any better. But here's the deal. When you start seeing people through the eyes of Jesus, it'll change your heart towards the people who walk through these doors. It'll change your heart towards the people that you know who you do life with on a regular basis, who are unchurched, who are seekers, or maybe they're far from God. And you'll come to understand that much of what we do here and the way that we do it is for the benefit of those who aren't here yet. Get that? For all you churchy people, I mean, I'm right up there with you, okay? I'm, of course, much older than you think I am, so I've been around this deal for a long time. This isn't about us. 
What we do here is not about us. What we do here and the way we do it is about the people who aren't here yet. Let's just keep that in mind. So you've been a follower of Jesus for a while now. You've been attending here, otherwise fully participating in church life here at Faith Community. I want to invite you to think about becoming a member of this church. Because, uh, you know, you can attend, you can participate, you can connect in relationships, you can be involved in most areas of ministry in our church and never be a member. That's totally cool. But we reserve our leadership roles uh, for those who are members. And if you have leadership gifts to bring to this body, would you seriously consider adopting our membership covenant and entering into that with us and become a member of Faith Community Fellowship? And we don't say a lot about membership. Uh, we're not about pressuring people to do certain things that we deem important. But at the same time, every once in a while, we need to talk about how these things work in the church and the value that we place on membership because of the accountability and the ministry opportunities that it provides. Oh, and I, I need to say this about membership at Faith Community. This covenant is not a lifetime commitment. At Faith Community, we renew our membership covenants every January. So you can join any time, but we renew every January. So here's the, here's, the, here's the point of application so far. It's pretty straightforward. If you've been a member or if you're ready to continue with us as we pursue our God-given mission, fill out the covenant, tear off the right side. We even have a little paper cutter on the table back there. Leave that right column in the basket back there on the table. If you're new here, or maybe at least since the last time we did this, and after hearing the covenant explained, you believe that you can enter into this covenant with us to be a part of this church body, to bring your gifts to the table, to get connected with other believers in a meaningful way, to, to help us lead some environments, and we would love to welcome you to our church family. If you have questions, if there's anything that you need clarity on, please initiate a conversation with me or with Pastor Bob. Uh, we'd be thrilled to talk with you about that over lunch. Whenever, anytime. We're pretty much available any day, so... Maybe if this is your first Sunday, uh, someone invited you to church today, and you, you my mostly familiar faces here today, but there may be some people here who are who finally came to get some your friend off your back, you know, and, and you're like, uh-huh, I, I was invited for a reason. I knew that. I suspected it. It's true. There's an agenda. They finally got me here. Now they're going to reel me in. And the person who invited you today is going, today of all days, what are you doing? Let me just say this. We do have an agenda for your life. But unlike your banker and your beautician, and certainly unlike your mother-in-law and your therapist, we don't want anything from you. We want something for you. And what we want for you is to connect with your Heavenly Father in such a way that it changes your eternal destiny, that it transforms every single relationship that you have between now and the time that you draw your last breath. That's what we want. So yeah, we do have a plan. Yeah, we do have an agenda. But do you know what we want? We want to help lead you to become a disciple, to become a follower and learner. We want you to become someone who believes and learns and follows Jesus Christ and who has a growing relationship with Him. That's our agenda. But you don't have to. You can come week after week after week. You can just come and listen. And when you have questions, you, you can bring them to us. We'll try to answer. You might not believe yet. You might have more questions and you have answers and you really need those answers. Then you need to get together with maybe with the person who invited you. Come talk to me. Let's do after I got a lunch appointment. So after that, let's do coffee. And uh, well, in other words, let, let, let me say it this way. You're not only welcome here, okay? If you're not quite ready to jump in with both feet, you're not only welcome here, but we planted this church nearly 20 years ago for you. Because 2,000 years ago, our Savior stood on a hill and said, 
Here's the deal, guys. Make disciples. And so we came together in the best way that we've known how to create an environment that's conducive for you to slowly, in your own time, become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Chances are you've heard of the book Purpose Driven Life. How many of you have ever heard, the book, heard of the book or have read the book? I'm curious how many of you have read the book. How many of you have read it more than once? That's interesting. So you know the name Rick Warren. He's a pastor at Saddleback Church. And he wrote that book, uh, I want to say, probably 14 or 15 years ago. About 15. But a little over 20 years ago, Rick released his first book, which was The Purpose Driven Church. How many of you knew that? In The Purpose Driven Church, he introduced a diagram, which in church leadership circles today, we, all, we just call the concentric circles. And, and as pastors, it's, it's like our insider code. We all seem to know what we're referring to. Where do you think that person sits in the circles? Well, they're, you know, so we kind of know. And even though it can be argued, and it has been, and Rick's been criticized because maybe he borrowed the concentric circle idea from corporate America and from marketing and organizational gurus, whatever, I think the concept of these concentric relational circles are actually found in the life and ministry of Jesus. Here's what I mean. Think about a set of concentric circles. The circle closest to the center gets the lion's share of our time and energy. And as the circles go outward, the amount of time and energy we spend with the people in those circles out here, decreases. And in Jesus' life, we see five distinct concentric circles. In the center is his own time with the Father alone. That's at the center. His personal leadership development with his heavenly Father. Matthew 14, right after he feeds the 5,000 after a day of teaching and performing miracles, Matthew says that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside mountainside by himself to pray and later that night he was still there alone and then after he heals a leper in Luke 5 it says the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed there are other examples of that in Luke 2 Luke 11 Luke 22 then in the next circle that was his inner circle of apostles the three Peter James and John you've heard of them you know someone who's named after them. You maybe used to go to a church named after them. Matthew 17 says that Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother, the brother of James, and led them to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. This is the story of what church people know as the transfiguration. It's a remarkable story. You ought to read the whole thing, and then you have all your questions answered. And when you do, please explain this whole deal to me, because I had got some questions of my own. That's in Matthew 17. But here's the point. Um, he's, he had this moment. It was a significant moment in Jesus' life, and he took with him his inner circle of, of Peter, James, and John. On the night of his arrest, at his darkest hour, he took his inner three with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, Mark 14. They went to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray, and he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled, but he had his, he had his inner circle with him. Next circle out are the 12 disciples who Jesus called to follow him and to learn with him and to do life with him and ministry with him. That's what a disciple is, right? A follower and a learner. There's so many passages where Jesus and all the 12 disciples are together. 
But Matthew 10 is where he commissions the disciples and he gives them authority over things like demonic spirits and authority to heal diseases. He says, as you go, proclaim this message that the kingdom of heaven is, has come near. I love the story in Mark 4 where Jesus tells a parable about the sower and the disciples don't get it at all. So after the crowd had left and Mark says in Mark 4 that when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. And Jesus goes on when it's just him, the 12, and he takes the time to explain this parable. Oh, next circle out, there's the 70. We don't, we don't know a lot about the 70. There's not a lot said about them. You may have never heard of them. You may think I'm making it up, but it's in Luke chapter 10. In the previous chapter, Jesus had just commissioned the 12, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That's a parallel passage of Matthew 10. But then as Jesus is walking down the road, a man walks up to him and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. To which Jesus has an interesting and, and, and somewhat confusing response, but in the end, it appears that never, the man never did follow Jesus. But apparently a good number of people did. They were beginning to follow him because when we keep reading and we get into Luke chapter 10, Jesus is commissioning 70 more, depending on the translation. Maya translation says 72. Luke says that Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. They were like his advance team. We don't know um, everyone who was a part of the 70, but we do know, mostly through historical record, that the group included Luke himself, which might be why he's the only one of the gospel writers who included this story. It included James, the Lord's brother, who was James the Just. He was the author of the epistle of James and the first bishop of Jerusalem. It included Mark, Barnabas, Stephen, Apollos, Silas, Philip, Timothy, Philemon, and Tabitha, which is one of the few female disciples whose name we know. She was raised from the dead by Peter. Maybe that's why we know her name. Um, these are just a few of them, and a lot of those names you've heard of. It's a pretty interesting study, but those are the 70 or 72 disciples that Jesus commissioned in Luke 10. Next circle, the outer circle, are the masses, the rest of humanity wanting his time. It's kind of hard to narrow down to a few verses uh, the kind of relationship Jesus had with the masses, but I love this one in Mark 2. It says, a few days later when Jesus uh, again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he'd come home, and they gathered in such large numbers... This would be such a cool problem to have. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. And some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowering the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven, which isn't exactly what he wanted to hear, but that's another sermon. Or this one, Matthew uh, 13. Jesus went out uh, of the house, sat by the lake, and such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. That'd be so cool to preach from a boat just once. I'd like to try that. While all the people stood on the shore, and he told them many things in parables. I think it's, fi- it's fascinating when you look at the Gospels in light of this, that Jesus often pulled away from the masses to be with the 70. And then he would pull away from the 70 to be with the 12. And he'd pull away from the 12 to be with the 3. And he'd pull away from the 3 to be with his Father. So all that to say... Jesus approached his ministry with a clear view of who was in his relational circles. So, here's what we think relational circles, these concentric circles, look like in the life of a church. And we've certainly found this to be true in our church. Please understand this is a man-made tool. It isn't perfect. It's good visual. It's a good bird's-eye view of the church. So, here we go. Let's put this up on the screen. On the outside of the concentric circles, we have community. These are the people that we are trying to reach. These are our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, people we do business with, people we go to school with. These are people who are unaffiliated. They don't attend church anywhere. They may know us. They may have friends who attend here, but they're not connected in any way 
to what we're doing. Know anybody like that? Yeah, this is what, yes, I do know people like that, yes. No, I live under a rock. I don't know anybody like that. I just come to church. It's all I do. We all know people who live in this circle in the community who are not, they don't yet attend anywhere. Next circle in is the crowd. The crowd represents people who may only come to church a few times a year. Okay? They may only come twice a year, maybe on Christmas and Easter, and even then, only if the weather's good on Christmas. Still, even though they're only thinly connected to our church, they consider our church to be their church. They love our church. They love, our pastors are so wonderful. We just love them to death. We come twice a year. And uh, they show up for occasional services and some special events. And, and that's cool. That's fine. Or they may be shopping for a church home because there's church shoppers and then there's church hoppers. They may be one of, or both. You know, people who go from church to... Some people are, church, are shopping for a church. They're looking for a place to land. That's, I get that. Then there are people who are hopping. They're going from church to church to just glean what's best from each uh, environment, but they aren't really willing to make a commitment. Um, here's our goal for the crowd. The goal is to welcome them and to engage them in a meaningful experience and invite them back. That's the goal. That's how we approach them. Next circle in is congregation. You're like, ooh, I'm getting close. These are people that attend more regularly. They may come two or three times a month. I mean, they're super religious people. They come two or three times a month. This is our, by the way, this is the biggest one as far as people sitting in this room. They may come two or three times a month. They give less than one time slot a week on average, certainly no more than one time slot a week. They may serve on an entry-level team where there isn't a lot required. In other words, there aren't major gaps to fill if they don't show up. They may even put something in the offering box occasionally but mostly they're more frequent consumers of what we're producing, okay? Next circle in is committed. These people are very involved. They give a couple time slots a week. They are actively serving on ministry teams or in personal ministry. They, are regu- they, they don't have time to serve on ministry teams because they're so engaged with doing life with people and serving people. That's awesome. They are regular givers. They attend most Sundays. They've moved out of the consumer role into a contributor role. But they're more often on the team than leading the team, okay? And then there's the core. The last group is often some of the most mature spiritually, not always, but they are often people who are sacrificial givers. They are often people who are, who are they're certainly playing key roles in the life of the church. They're giving multiple time slots a week. They're leading teams. They're leading ministry environments. They're having influence within the church. They're engaging in conversations with leadership about future and vision. The people in the core, listen, have not arrived, okay? But they are actively engaged in the process of becoming the leader that God's called them to be. They're most definitely contributors in every way imaginable. Assimilation is the process of moving people from one circle to the next, always moving people towards the center. This does not happen by accident. And there shouldn't be barriers between any of the circles. Just the opposite, actually. We want to create as many bridges as possible from one circle to the other. So here's some ideas that we're working on. We've been having these conversations for a while, in some cases for years. And one thing we've discovered is that part of moving from one circle to the next is about time commitment. I just want to let that sink in for a second because you're thinking, well, I don't know, they don't, these people are kind of standoffish and I can't really get to know anybody and I don't really know if this is where I belong. Can I just repeat that? 
The part of moving from one circle to the next is about time commitment. Each circle requires a little more time than the circle before. I understand you're busy people. That's kind of how the dynamic works. So let's talk about this. To move from community to crowd. We believe the most effective process is what we refer to as invest and invite strategy. And that isn't original with us. We stole it from somebody else. We like it. We use it. And so that's what we call it. Um, and we're going to say more about that in the next few weeks. It's the idea of intentionally investing in the life of someone outside the church, maybe even far from God, for the purpose of eventually, in the right time, eventually inviting them into the right church environment with the expectation that maybe they can meet some Christians. Maybe they can experience God in a church environment. Maybe they can have some spiritual and relational needs met. Maybe even become a follower of Jesus. That's the goal. That's invest and invite. So my challenge is, would you be a searcher who's actually searching so that we can be a church of searchers who are searching? Because we want to partner with our Heavenly Father in searching for people who are lost. To move from crowd to congregation, how do you do that? First of all, keep coming. Just keep coming. Keep attending. Be here as much as possible. Find some opportunities to serve the people that you're sitting with. Make some relational connections. If you don't know anybody, maybe just go out on a limb and invite the person that's within closest reach of you and say, hey, you got lunch plans? And uh, get into some connecting environments. Be in some sort of a small group. And if you can't find a small group, start one. Get connected. Just keep coming and get connected. And a great place to connect with people is serving with them. So just whenever there's an opportunity to serve, know that's an opportunity to connect. To move from congregation to committed. Stay engaged enough to understand and embrace our mission, which is simply to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ for the good of our community and the sake of the world. And then get involved in ministry teams that require something of you. That's when you make that move from sitting in the seats or sitting on the sidelines to getting in the game is when you're engaged in something that requires something of you. And then to move from committed to core, begin to move into leadership in some of the teams that you serve. You're like, oh, but there's already leadership. Trust me, the leadership in the teens would love for you to say, I would like to learn from you. I would like for you to mentor me so that I can help lead and bring some leadership gifts to this environment that I'm so passionate about. Would you teach me to do what you do? Because all of our leaders would love to replace ourselves. Not because we're tired of it, but because the influence and the reach expands and multiplies exponentially when we do that. So moving to some leadership. It's on us, listen. It's on us to take personal responsibility for our spiritual growth when you're in the core. It's on us to grow people, to grow deeper as people. It's on us to grow more effective as leaders. It's on us to expand our influence. This is all, when you think about it, about evangelism. This is all about making disciples. It's about taking people from the furthest circles and moving them in. The idea that somewhere along the way we figure out what it is to be a follower of Jesus, to be a learner, to be a disciple. And the heart of evangelism, I believe, is the desire to move people from community to the core. But ultimately, listen, the goal is not just to get people into the church or to move people toward the center. Ultimately, that's cool. But the goal is not to grow the church so we can have a big church. That's not the goal. The goal is for the kingdom of God to move forward to have an effect in our community, to make a difference in the lives of people that we are doing life with, to make a difference in, in the here and now and for eternity. That's the goal. The church is a means to an end. 
You're like, well, that's a weird thing to say for somebody who spent their whole life doing church leadership. Well, I understand the church is a means to an end. It's the tool that Jesus left to accomplish his purposes here on earth until he returns to build his kingdom here now. Now. Most of the time, the first step is to move people from, or the first step in moving people from community into the, into the crowd is, is to get them in the door, to get them in this door. Maybe to get them through your door in a small group or through the door of some environment where they will have the opportunity to interact with some other Christians and find out they're not as weird as they thought. Well, maybe they're, they're weird in a different way. Or as they interact with the truth of Scripture and as they don't have to just sit and listen and take notes and try to remember to ask a question, they can ask a question in the, in the moment where they can serve one another, where they can serve our community. This is about giving people the best opportunity to meet Jesus, to experience a growing relationship with Him and to become a fully devoted follower. Because I don't believe that making disciples is about introducing them to Jesus and then stepping back and letting them figure it out. I believe making disciples is about the introduction all the way, walking with us all through life. It's a, it's a lifelong growing process. And evangelism is not a responsibility or a calling for the few trained professionals, okay? It's the unrelenting responsibility of every person who decides to follow Jesus. I'm not really gifted. That has nothing to do with it. You are called. Use your gifts, whatever they may be, to pursue this calling to make disciples. Among church leaders, evangelism tends to fit under one of two categories. It's either a come and see approach or a go and tell approach. Come and see is like an event oriented. It's, it's, you know, Easter Sunday oriented. There was a day it used to be like four or five nights in a row in a church of a you know, guy preaching to people. It, it was an attractional kind of thing, and we kind of do this Sunday morning attractional orientation. It's marketing and targeting and branding and all that. It's the come and see. On the other side is go and tell. It tends to be more of a personal evangelism. It's a friendship evangelism. It's an introducing your faith into the context of your relationships with unbelievers, with the not yet Christian. And people ask me, well, what do you ascribe to? What, what do you think the church should adopt? Is it come and see approach or should it be go and tell? Which is it? The answer is easy. It's both. It's both come and see and go and tell. It's on us to create environments that people are attracted to. Jesus did this. How do you think he attracted large crowds? He fed 5,000 people at one time. That attracts a crowd. Oh, and then he stopped to talk with the woman at the well and with Zacchaeus, and he spent time one-on-one with people. It was both and. It was come and see, and it was go and tell. Evangelism is investing in relationships and inviting your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers into the appropriate environment. Evangelism is getting them in the door so they can experience the company of a group of Christ followers whose lives are characterized by joy and contentment. so they can experience our our worship, so they can hear the truth of Scripture, so they can have an opportunity to cross a line of faith and begin a relationship with Jesus. And we want everything we do at Faith Community to be aimed at moving people through these circles to get every person new, the committed and the core where they have a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. So let me just say this and I'll be done. One of the commandments that Jesus gave his followers was to love one another He told them that by loving one another, they would attract those who were not yet following him. He said it this way in John 13, the words of Jesus. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? 
if you love one another. We call that biblical community, to love and be loved, to know and be known, to serve and be served. Evangelism, the process of sharing the good news of Jesus, is a living example of biblical community. And this is huge in our culture because everyone wants to feel and be accepted and loved, not condemned and judged, especially by the people who are supposed to be representing Jesus. A couple years ago, we, we fell in love with some music by the band Ren Collective, and even though we're totally confused about how to clap on some of their music. Um, so anyway, I want, <laughs> I want to lead you in a prayer, and then we're going to stand together, and we're going to sing along with one of their videos. We're going to put the lyrics on. We're going to crank up the volume. We're going to sing this with enthusiasm. We're going to sing it as a prayer, as a commitment for this new year, as a time to just kind of uh, to say we're all in. This, this is what we want to be a part of. Uh, this next year uh, at Faith Community and in my life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you've chosen to use uh, people like us, people who are flawed, people whose stories don't always bring attention to you, people whose choices don't always glorify you. But we are lives that have changed and we're lives that are changing through this relationship we have with our Heavenly Father because of Jesus. And we can't sit on that. We've got people in our lives we care about. We've got people who are far from God. We've got people who've been hurt by their church experience. We've got people who have all the wrong expectations of church. Because of that, they have a wrong view of God. So God, I pray that today that you would um, convict us where we have failed to show love for one another, where we failed to show love for the people still on the outside. May we be characterized by love. We want to lean into that truth that when we love one another, then people will know we're your disciples. We believe there's something inviting and attractive and maybe even contagious about that. Pray that as we move through these next few weeks and talking about some stuff relating to our church and as we move through into this, this new calendar year, I pray that this would be a year that is uh, characterized by personal growth, by corporate growth as a church, by growing influence in our community, by lives being changed for the glory of God. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.